Hi, this is Susan. And this is Katie. And welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. And today we are in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we are at my dear, dear, dear friend's home uh, and mentor, Susan Blunt, and we are sitting at her fantastic table. And uh, I mean, it really is beautiful. In this incredible loft. I know. It's making me want to do loft living. On the sixth floor of like this cool downtown um, area where they're they're making lofts and shared space with businesses and there's trendy restaurants all around us. And we are just so excited to be here. Yeah, we're feeling cooler than we really are. (laughs) (laughs) And we're asking ourselves, how do we get to be here? I know. I know. And so we... um, we are here, uh, we got here last night, and we're here all day today before we leave in the morning, and it, oh my goodness, it's been a good, good time to be with the Blunts, and um, Susan has introduced us to this gem of a woman that we're going to be able to hear her story today, Candace. and Susan introduced us to her, and I'm so glad that she did. Um, the Candace and I have something in just in common that it holds dear to both of our hearts is that we both adopted and we immediately started talking hair care when we walked in and that was a gift to my soul because every now and then when I hear somebody's using the same products and the same tools I'm like ooh, I'm doing something right and so that was good yes that was good and Gwen and I who love to talk about hair are but don't know what we're talking about we're yeah. just sitting there listening like wow I know I know these we are learning much but the way journey. God bonds women together yeah. over things is is so cool. It so, Candice, we're so excited to hear your story. Yeah, and you have got quite a story. Quite a story that we are. We know um, what we say on our podcast is is that other people's stories lend courage to our own story. Mm-hmm. So we know that people hearing your story, um, it's going to lend courage in their own lives. And we are positive. That's what we pray for, and that's what we know. And so we are going to hand it over to you, and we're not going to do a ton of gabbing, although. We can't promise that. (laughs) So we're going to hand it over to you for you to share your story. And then um, we know all of our listeners are going to be blessed. So we're giving it to you. Well, thank you so much for having me this morning. Um, It's such an honor to be with you ladies. Um, And I'm just going to share just a series of choices that my husband and I have made. um, Just different steps that we've taken towards who we want to be and who that we believe God has called us to be as a couple and who he's called me to be as a woman. And I wanted to start at a place when we first got married, which is about 15 years ago, um, because, again, a lot of these choices include both my husband, Paul, and I. Uh, We first met at North Central University. We were both employed at NCU. It's a small Christian university, downtown Minneapolis. And a couple years later, our daughter, Lola, was born. Um, That day, I remember getting pregnant with her, finding out we were pregnant. I accepted a brand new job at North Central And I thought, you know, women work all the time in the city. There are daycares all over the place, so this is going to work out, you know, perfect. But the week she was born, of course, something in me changed, and I knew that I wanted to be home with her. And my husband, a week later, said, yes, I want the same thing. So Mm -hmm. we kind of worked towards that over that next year. Uh, About 10 months later, we received a job offer in Texas, and it was at a church in South Dallas. And the cost of living there was so much more affordable than it was here, so I was able to stay at home. So we moved our family down, and during that season, we just fell in love with all the people that were down there. The hospitality was incredible. Um, We just, we fell in love with the young people that we got to work with because we were young adult pastors. So imagine just on any given week, 18 to 30-year-olds, we'd have about 50 coming through our home. Oh, I love that. Wow. Yeah, there's this, oh, I do this love that. open door policy in Texas where your door is always unlocked and people could just come and go as they pleased. So there were some nights where we that. had, yeah, it was fun. Um, we would have people sleeping over if they were staying out late, you know, watching a binge of 24 or Lost <laughs> yeah. or something in our house. They would just stay over. Um, we almost always had young college girls living with us, sometimes two. And um, we would host watch parties, game nights, um, all kinds of stuff. So that was a super unique season for us. We lived in a beautiful neighborhood with several of our friends who were also on staff at our church. And all their kids were the same ages as our kids. They had this community pool, this beautiful green space. And it was kind of like Pleasantville. Yeah. I was going to say, could could I come in the end of the Because our daughter, who's now 13, she still will talk about that season of her life and just how special it was. Um, But during that season, that was also probably one of our toughest in our first couple years there. We had two miscarriages that were back-to-back. 
Um, I arrived in Texas about five weeks pregnant and about 12 weeks when I should have been about 12 weeks along, we announced it to our entire young adult ministry, of course. Of course. And then a week later found out uh, that we had lost the baby. Oh. So that was a, a pretty complicated recovery. Mm, of um, course. I had a DNC and it was about a four month recovery after uh-huh. that. And, you know, the following year we started trying again and very early on in that second pregnancy, mm-hmm. I lost the second baby. And this time I uh, really took the news pretty hard. I was um, just in a place where I didn't know if I trusted God anymore. I felt very forgotten, very angry. I wanted a big family, but um, wasn't seeing, you know, God's faithfulness in that time. And my husband was always so, um, so gracious to let me vent during those times, but also reminding me it's not God's fault. You know, God Mm, did not cause this to happen and we can trust him you know, with our little family. And if this is, if this is who it is, if it's us and Lola, that's okay. Mm. Um, but during that time, God was, he was a good father. And I, I feel like he gave me that space to grieve and to vent and to Mm -hmm. pray. And he just let me do the things when I was ready. And so it was about two years, I'd say after that season of, you know, our, from our first miscarriage, um, two years later, our son Justice was born and I called him our miracle baby. Um, you know, my recovery after both miscarriages was so long. Um, it would just take weeks for my sure. counts to get back down to a healthy range. So once we conceived that third time, I just held my breath. It was probably, of course. Um, I don't know, the third trimester before I could really yeah. enjoy Relax. the pregnancy. And, yeah. yeah. And I, I had had some tests done. I was on progesterone. I was taking baby aspirin every day. Um, just to kind of make sure, do something yeah. different this time to see if we could have a healthy baby. Um, so his, by the time his due date came around, he was about 10 days early, and it was a fast and furious delivery. Oh, wow. We showed up at the hospital, and he was born an hour later. Oh, oh my, my goodness. Yep, with the cord <laughs> wrapped around his neck. Oh, um, boy. So it was a very epic, exciting, yeah. dramatic yeah. entrance into the world. Um, but once, you know, they took him and did a little, um, work on him, he was fine. And we got to hear him cry about a half hour, you know, after he was born. Um, so yeah, that was a beautiful season of raising wow. them, two babies yeah. down there and raising kids around young adults is just a blast yes. because you have people that are constantly <laughs> loving on your kids and offering to babysit That's and precious. holding them at church. Yeah, it was, it was Love fun. That. Um, and I'd say about 18 months after Justice was born, we received a call from our buddy Aaron. And Aaron co-founded a nonprofit that we knew and that we loved called Venture. And Aaron was um, close, very close with my husband, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and during this season, uh, Venture was doing cycling tours and hiking trips. And one of their cross-country bike tours actually came through the city of Dallas. And so our church was able to host the riders. And we got a chance to um, host a benefit concert and an art auction for to raise money for their cause, um, which at the time was Blood Water Mission, so for oh, clean yeah. water. And um, during that season, Aaron was also in the process of planning a hiking tour for the following year to Africa and asked Paul and I if we would lead this trip to hike Kilimanjaro. Oh, my so, heavens. Yeah, we um, had a, a choice to make in this season. You know, we could either spend the next several months saving and training and planning out childcare. Obviously yeah, our kids yeah. were little, they were 18 months and, and four. Um, or we could just say no and do life as usual. Mm-hmm. Just keep, keep going. But um, we knew like, this is a choice we feel that was going to be a great story to tell our kids one day and something that we could do together. So about six months after that first call, we flew over to Africa. We left our kids with our parents, and they shared those. We were gone 21 days. And our, oh, wow. Our, yeah. Our parents um, spent time with the kids, and we were able to work in a school outside of Nairobi. Uh, we raised money for these students to help provide education for them. And that final week of the trip, uh, we hiked Kilimanjaro, which oh, was an unbelievable my. experience oh, for us. Yeah, it was a four and a half day climb up to the summit and then about a day and a half back down. Uh, we hiked through six ecosystems. We had a couple nights where we slept at cloud level, um, which was beautiful. The pictures are just beautiful. Our kids, that's probably their favorite photos to look at. Like, you were sleeping with the clouds. Um, <laughs> oh, and so you would go from wearing t-shirts and some of the climates to, uh, you know, full winter gear. We were wow. wind chapped faces and below freezing temperatures. Um I remember that final day before we summited, we were staying at Kibo Hut, which is about 15,000 feet. 
And we went to bed around four o'clock in the afternoon and we got up at 11 and had to hike through the night to get to the summit. And he had about 4,000 vertical feet to finish that night. And my husband came to my bedside as soon as he got up and he said, can you lead the team? I feel as sick as I've ever been. I can hardly talk without wanting to throw up. Oh, and no. so I said, yeah, no problem. I, you know, I can do this. And it was about the first hour I was feeling pretty good trying to encourage the team. And then about an hour in, that's when it hit me. And probably nine out of the 10 of us that were on the, on the trip got sick. And there's something oh. called mountain altitude sickness yes. that affects yes. nine out of 10 people who knew. So um, almost all of us were struggling to, you know, with our headlamps to walk one foot in front of the others. The oh, word no. Swahili is uh, pole, pole. Pole, pole. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. 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 Means slowly, slowly. Slowly, yes. slowly. Yes. Yeah. We yeah. had a Yeah, we had a guest on the, and really? she had Kilimanjaro, oh and that was her yes. pole, pole. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. We love that word. Yeah. I know. Isn't that funny? And slowly, it's true. Slowly. I during the night before we summited, I remember having to go to the bathroom so bad. I ran to the bathroom, which was only about 100 feet away, and I had to stop and catch my breath and like, uh, bend over and grab yeah, my knees yeah. because I was so out of breath. So anything at that elevation, you kind of have to you take it slow. slowly. Slowly, Yep. So once we get to the summit, we take our picture. You know, it's this proud moment with our team, but we're all, as soon as we can, get off that mountain. Yes, <laughs> you don't feel good. Like, yes. Yes. Get back down to the lower elevation. Um, but that experience was incredible. And I recall even telling my husband, you know what? If I could either do this again or give birth again, I would probably give birth. <laughs> wow. It was that hard. It was just, a, it was incredible, but it was kind of once in a lifetime. Yes. Right, you know? right, um, right. So we came home from that trip and it, we both felt like it had just, it was going to change the trajectory of our family. Sure. Um, we knew these are the kind of things that we want to do with our kids, that we want to raise them to do hard things on behalf of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. Um, and we wanted to do it together. And so within a year of that trip, um, my husband was offered a job at Venture, mm. which just seemed like such a great fit. Um, we moved our family back to Minneapolis and Paul started as the executive director. Um, so we were thrilled. We loved the organization, which I'm going to share a little bit more yeah. about in a bit. Um, but our time in Texas, it was so sweet, just raising our kids together with our friends. It was such a gift. Um, our senior pastor and his wife and our staff were just incredible to work with. But we knew, and especially my husband, just felt like pastoring was not going to be a long-term gig for him. Um, he wasn't sure what that would look like. Yeah. But when the opportunity to work for Venture, um, work with this nonprofit, came along, it just resonated with us. Actually, Susan, who was introduced in the beginning, who was with us, um, her and her husband, Steve, were a part of being yeah. sounding boards for us and praying with us through that experience. Um, yeah, and through praying about it, we just felt like God made it very clear that that was our next step. So we sold our house in Texas, and we moved up here and rented a loft in downtown Minneapolis with two kids, a very small space um, with no ceilings and very little privacy. Um, and we enrolled Lola in a dual Spanish immersion school just about six blocks away from the loft. And that was going to be our, our little start back That's in the city. Cool. Um, and I had, you know, I had experience attending college downtown here at North Central and really loved the city, but I had no concept of raising kids yeah. here. So, um, cause you know, when we moved, she was just a baby at the sure. time. So coming back, we had to figure out where was our fit? You know, um, I remember when we chose Lola's school, it's downtown on a city block surrounded by a six foot fence around mm. the playground. And I literally had a fear that someone was going to abduct her off the playground yeah. <laughs> at the time. Uh-huh. And a dear friend of mine, Joanna, I shared that with her. And I, looking back, I think, how did she just not, you know, burst out laughing in my face? <laughs> like, girl, that doesn't actually happen. You know? um, but later she did, you know, assure me, yeah, you know, the statistics show. <laughs> come and pluck your child off a playground. Um, but we quickly fell in love with raising our kids here. We learned that there's so many things to do. The park system is number one in the country and the theaters and the admission to all kinds of family events everywhere. Um, our son justice was two and we started going to the, even the mall of America every Tuesday had toddler Aww. events for free. And yeah. Just a ton of fun things that we got to expose them to. And I just, I ate it up. We were so busy. Our first several months, we went to every parade, festival, art fair. <laughs> oh, that's that was fun. Offered. And that's, that's fun. I'm a doer anyway. Yeah. I go into overdrive mode with all the things. And I have this fear of missing out, this FOMO. Yeah. Majorly, <laughs> I love With that. events. 
And, you know, thank God for my husband. He's always kind of reeling me back in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our calendar yeah. balanced. Because um, without him, we, yeah, we would You're just like my daughter-in-law, Jill. She does that, too. All yeah. the yeah. fairs all the and, and everything. I didn't know yeah. Minneapolis had that much stuff. Yeah, so much That's to do. Awesome. That I is sweet. About it. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun place. And it really, if you... If you don't know about it or don't look into it, yeah. you, you would never know. Yeah, right. Once right. you start digging yeah, in, exactly. you could have a yeah full calendar. So it was during this season of just trying to adjust to a new city, um, having our Lola at a new school and Paul at a new job that God started talking to me about foster care. And I would read articles. I would talk with friends who had gone through foster care and adoption. And it just seemed to be everywhere. And I was a little nervous because I felt like this might be a next step for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was nervous to talk with Paul because I thought life is already so full. How sure. could we bring another kid into our life? Um, but when, I, of course, he's such a gracious, wise man. My husband's incredible. And of course, when I mentioned it to him, he said, well, okay, let's pray about it. You know, let, let me also spend time just seeking God mm-hmm. about this mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll both, we'll jump in when we both feel like we're on the same page. And so it was probably about a year later that we took just an intro to foster care class. We thought, let's just sign up for the class and just see what it's about and, you know, what they're looking for. And in that first class, we knew like, okay, let's just, let's take the next step. Let's just keep taking steps towards this. And that was a a choice that we knew. Um, We didn't have to think five years down the road. We would just keep taking, you know, the next step and see what, what doors would open um, so through that first class, that started us on this 18-month journey mm. of we had delayed background checks from Texas that took over a year to arrive. We had 21 hours of foster care training. We had a home inspection and yeah. interviews, and um, we had to fill out a 75-question you know, um, home study on just our, our perspective and philosophy on foster care mm. and, and adoption and caring for kids that, that weren't our own. And so initially, you know, we were told it would take about four to six months mm-hmm. to get your license, and it took us about a year and a half. But during that time, we knew, like, God, this is a little bit crazy. You know, everybody yeah. else is done, and they've already had a couple placements, and here we're, we're still working towards this. But God, I feel like he kept reminding us that, you know what, in my perfect timing, yeah. mm-hmm. there's a reason. Mm-hmm. Just Sovereignty. be faithful. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, let's just keep keep being faithful and taking these steps. And um, when the time's right, it's mm-hmm. going to happen for you. And it was around the holidays in 2014 that our license came. Um, it was probably end of December, first week in January. And two days later, after our license arrives, we got a call from out of the blue. Um, we were what you would consider like emergency care providers, so that if a hospital in the yeah. area needed someone for a zero to three-year-old, they'd give you a call. So we volunteered for that. And two days later, we get this call that oh, a, wow. a baby girl was born that day and they needed a, an immediate placement for her. And that was a season where we were trying to get our house ready. We were doing a basement renovation. Um, we had told our worker we needed a couple weeks um, to be ready and she put us on that list right away. And so um, we decided, you know what, let's see what it would take to get the crib and get you know rooms rearranged, get everything ready. And three days later, we picked her up from the hospital and it was such a surreal experience because here we are driving to the hospital with a car seat and our driver's license, and we show up. There's no social workers. There's nobody there to vet us or make sure we're who we say we are, just us and a nurse discharging us like we were first-time parents. Oh, wow. Yeah. We were given the whole, you know, the talk about shaken baby syndrome and, mm-hmm. and proper feeding care and, and thinking, you know, we've raised a couple of kids, you know, they yeah. were already yeah. what, six and nine at the time. But here we are being treated as brand new parents. This this baby wasn't ours. We didn't I didn't give birth to her. But yeah, here we are being trusted to take her home mm-hmm. and make her part of our family. And here I'm I have this feeling you know, very overwhelmed, very excited. I love babies, I love newborns. No one ever prepared us in any of our training for a baby. Um, if anything, it was maybe after three to six months if sure. a child had been yeah. through a traumatic situation or an abusive um, home. But never straight from the hospital. So here I am excited um, just to care for this baby. And my husband is in tears Uh, because he's feeling the brokenness mm. and the weight of this birth mother who is having to say goodbye, you know, at the hospital. And so it was a, it was a heavy um, experience, but, but beautiful at the same time. And so 
you know, we get her home and bring her into our lives with the, really the hope of reuniting her to birth mom. That was the goal. Um, we spent several weeks and months meeting with mom twice a week. We would um, go to visits and, you know, our hope was that everything would work out. But about six months into that process, um, parental rights were terminated and we were given that opportunity to adopt Nia. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. And it was, it was a, it was a tough, I mean, here we fell in love with her. She felt so very much a part of us, but we're grieving the fact that mom was yeah. losing these yeah. rights Absolutely. and that Nia was losing her culture yeah. from birth. Um, and just trying to, to figure out, you know, are we really the best? We, of course we love her, but, um, you know, with, with a, with adoption, which you know, Susan, it, there it could be so beautiful, but mm-hmm. it's so messy too. Yeah. It's just yeah. the heartache that you feel for your children, yeah. um, knowing that someday we would have to explain this process yeah. to her. Yeah. And um, so it was tough, but in the in the end, it was about a nine month paperwork journey, and we adopted her. It was March thirty first, mm-hmm. two thousand sixteen, and we had a huge celebration. We had some incredible friends in our lives that had been caring for her and and along this process with us and. Um, it was just slightly before adoption. I'd say about six weeks before when Nia was about 13 months old, we got a call from another Hennepin County worker that there was a sibling that had Mm. just been born to Nia. It was a little sister. And they asked if we would be willing to pick her up that following morning. And I burst into tears. I run downstairs. Paul was working from home that day. So I'm, I'm telling him about this phone call. And we decided we had, were heading out of the country just a few weeks later, and we had childcare all arranged for the other kids. And we thought, you know what, let's um, let's have her in a temporary foster home just for a few weeks, so that we could buy a minivan. We didn't have a <laughs> vehicle for four kids, and we would um, go out of the country. We would come back, kind of prepare our older kids for this, because you know they went through a big transition with sure, a, a baby yeah. in our home and. Um, the kids were amazing and, but to say, Hey, one more, you know, 13 months later, we thought they might be a little overwhelmed by the news. So let's take a few weeks to get ready and then we'll, we'll pick her up when we get back. And about two weeks after that call, we get a call that the judge had identified relatives and wanted her to stay in her current placement until they could vet all of the relatives and, and either rule them out or have her moved into one of their homes and I was devastated. Mm. I probably cried for two weeks. Um, we went on our trip, but it was uh, just a very solemn, um, sure, relaxing but solemn experience yeah. of just thinking, "Oh Lord, we just we wanted them to be together." Mm. And all I could think of was two little sisters who were so close in yeah. age, and and wanting Nia to grow up with a, a sister that could identify with the same skin color and same mm-hmm. birth mother mm-hmm. and. Um, so I really had forgotten the whole foster care purpose. Yeah, yeah. You know, wanting to reunite kids, you know, with their families. And I really had to pray and God changed my heart. Sure. And a year, I couldn't believe in one year how much my heart had completely shifted, shifted yeah, of course. towards um, adoption. So eventually I, I came around and I, I prayed every day, God, just your will be done. Yeah. She's supposed to be with us. Bring her back around right. to, you know, to us. And yeah. it was probably six months later and, um, which was interesting because it was in that season that I was thinking six months is typically a termination time. And I, so I was just, I don't know if God was preparing my heart for this email, but um, we got an email out of the blue saying at one time you were interested in adopting the sister of a placement in your home. So it was very vague, you know, it was, it was Uh, super vague, no names mentioned, but I knew what they meant. Yes. And I was sitting in speech therapy with Nia and again, burst into tears, which I yeah. apparently do when there's heavy <laughs> emotional big decisions. And called my husband, and um, a few days later, we were showing up at a county office with this woman just extending the six-month-old to us, wow. saying, "Here, here she is." And it was so different from our experience with Mia, because with Mia, it was always we're caring for this child for reunification and just providing stability and right. love for her. But with right. with um, with a little sister, it was very much. Hey, if you want her, she's yours. You know, there's mm. this here's this baby, and if you'll take her, we'll bring her back this week. You know, we'll bring her yeah. over to your home. So we spent two hours with her that day, took about a hundred pictures. Of course. And a few days later they dropped her off with wow. just a change of clothes and a little blanket and a bottle. And that was it. And um it was just shortly before termination. 
of mom's rights for her, and her name was Winnie. And so Winnie um, lived with us. It was about nine months later, again, a lot of paperwork, and we adopted her. Um, it was May the 4th in 2017, which she being our fourth kid, um, oh. and May the 4th being the Star, Star Wars, Wars yeah. three oh. big Star Wars adoption party for her. Did you we really? Did. I love I'm that. Like, wait, what? <laughs> it was a blast. We did, um, you know, the May the 4th be with you. Yeah. We had the t-shirts made May for the everybody. Be with That's you. so fun. Uh, Winnie that. had this unique shirt that said the force is strong with this one because she was very, um, super active baby. They told me when we first met her, oh, she's very chill, very laid back baby. But I think because she was in a temporary home, sure. she was used to constant change yeah. and transition of other kids coming in and out. And so being with us just for even a month, just her personality exploded. And she is by far our most active baby. Yeah. <laughs> that we've had. Yeah. yeah. So she's a lot of fun. She's a blast. But um, yeah, that was May the 4th. It's almost been, I think, 18 months ago that we finalized her adoption. So, you know, our girls are now going on uh, four. Nia will be four in January. Wow. And Winnie will be three in February. And looking back over the past four years, is it was just a constant journey of just taking one step at a time and just trusting um, that God knew what he was doing yeah, and amen. just being faithful. And, you know, we felt initially it was very clear we were supposed to pursue foster care. Um, and that first class led to the background checks and, and having a social worker assigned and the trainings, everything. But it was just this, all these steps strung together that just continually opened new doors, That's right. you know, for us. And so, you know, during that process, it wasn't necessarily easy or smooth. Some people hear, oh, two babies right away. Wow, that's, you know, that mm -hmm. must have just been such a quick and easy. But, it, you know, the county um, would deliver different messages. You have about seven workers um, on the child at one time representing everybody, mm -hmm. you know, within the situation. And um, we just had to make a choice always. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to trust mm, that he right. is taking care of Nia and knows what's best for her? Are we going to trust all the news and, you know, varying reports that we were hearing? Um, but God was our peace. Yeah. He just, yes. he yes. helps any type of a roller coaster experience to just flatline and just it's good. calm, you know, our, our hearts and calm any anxiety. Um, and God reminded us he loved these girls more than we did. That's right. You know, That's he right. knew what was best. And if we could just be available Mm -hmm. That God would God would do what was best for them, and in the end, that that meant adoption for yeah, our family. Yeah. And we all say that we are so much better because of our girls. Right. You know, our we call them our littles and our bigs, and our <laughs> our bigs are now thirteen and ten, and they have they've really had to learn what it means to share Paul sure. and I to share our attention and to take care of babies and to play with toddlers and. Um, it's been such a sweet, selfless love to mm -hmm. see in them, the way they nurture. And it's not always rosy. You know, we sure. have sibling rivalries are, are real and it's, we have some hard days and extremely loud, you know, days at our home, but we're, we're family and it's hard yeah. to imagine life, you know, without the girls. It's good. And I, I think about even who would our big kids be now without mm. them in their lives. Yeah. They've, yeah. Um, they have really learned how to serve and to be part of a team. You know, yeah. and that's what my husband says all the time. We're a team. You know, it's Team Herkman, and I love that we I have tough that. days. Like we, we got to work together. We got to be on the same team, and um, and I, That's I don't good. think I'd mentioned it before now, but our little girls are African American, and there have been just some beautiful learning curves in regards to culture and having a relationship with birth family, mm -hmm. trying to figure out you know what that looks like. And, and then this privilege of learning all about their hair, which we yeah. mentioned in the beginning. Yeah. And you know, regarding hair, I have read books, YouTube yeah. videos. I've joined Facebook groups yeah. on natural hair care um, that are moderated by yeah. African-American women. And I've learned a ton. still have yeah. a ton to learn. But yeah. um, I love that you say it's a privilege because yeah. it, really, it really is because it's um, one thing that – I don't mean to interrupt you, but one, no, I, I love that you say that because it's really – um, it is a journey and it's, it's such a deep part of their culture mm -hmm. and it is not just hair, right? It really is such a deep part of who they are. And when you learn how to do their hair, right. you are really 
you're investing in their soul. And so I love that you say it's a privilege that we get to do it because Mm -hmm. sometimes um, there's people that will complain because Mm -hmm. it's something you have to learn that's new. But really, it is such an intimacy with your daughters. Don't you, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's something that I'm able to do with them that is an intimate thing. And man, it really is a privilege. It It really is. is. Anyway. It is. And it, it has been, you know, there was probably a year, I'll admit, where I felt really paralyzed. Yeah, by yeah, it. amen. Thought, oh, yes. Okay, I'm getting by. Mm-hmm. You know, I know how to keep it moisturized. I know right, how to detangle, right. but um, it You is, want to go to the next level. Yes. Yes, yes. I get that. I get pictures, it. Right? You see all the posts yes. of what it could be, and I think, okay, I'm not going to be stuck here. Yeah, and, and we, you want that for your daughters. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and we, you know, it's funny. We all have long hair in our family. Um, we're when I say low maintenance, it is almost ridiculous. My husband gets a haircut about twice a year. Yeah, yeah. I get one maybe twice a year. Yeah. Our big kids maybe three times, but right. it's, you know, everybody has just long hair. Yeah. And that's what we do. And so the taking the attention and the time, yes. it has been a big learning curve yeah. for me. And it, and again, just a chance to bond with them has been such a rewarding yeah. thing. And not just with my littles, but with my daughter Lola, who's yeah. now 13. She is so into hair. She loves braiding. She loves doing it on herself and, and on me. And she's, she's really the one that started asking mom, when are we going to do more? When are we going to, when are we going to start? Have you learned how to do beads yet? And she would sit down with me with all the supplies. I mean, there are supplies. There's a whole, we have a whole drawer dedicated with all the fun, you know, yes. Amen. Creams and detanglers (laughs) and brushes. And I love it. Um, Yes. But it's something that her and my husband will walk in and we're all watching Moana or Finding Dory or something. And we'll, he'll come in and out for two hours while we're yes. sitting and doing yes. it. But, you know, it makes him, he'll tell me, like, it's it's just so incredible to watch yeah. you and Lola doing this together. Yeah. And our girls, they'll always remember, you know, yeah. this bond experience that they've had um, with their big sister yeah. and their mom. And and my husband is so sweet. He, he doesn't necessarily participate, but he has been a huge encourager for yeah. me yeah. to remind me, like you said, that... Hey, let's don't ever complain in front of them. Exactly. You know, I think I did cry one time, (laughs) one day where it was just a tough, you know, trying to get my hands and get in there. But he would just come alongside and say, you're doing great, mama. Like you got this and I'm proud of you for learning and it's going to mean so much to them as they grow up. Um, and I so, love that. Yeah, it's it was an area I felt so inadequate in, but I'm learning, and God has has just shown all of us. And thank like, goodness for YouTube experience. YouTube is a good thing. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> oh, so many things to learn on YouTube. So I know this is a quick transition, but back to my venture story. Yeah, I was yeah, talking about absolutely. Earlier, I have been on staff with Venture part time for about the last five years. And just to give you a little bit of a backstory, Venture, we work in the least reached, least resourced places of the world. And so what that means is least reached are people who have never heard the gospel. Um, And least resourced are those who are the war refugee or people who are trafficked or enslaved or kids living in oppressive situations or the child soldier. Um, And so we um, primarily work in Southeast Asia. We do hiking, biking, and running initiatives, and that's our platform, doing these physical sacrifices, our platform to raise funds for issues like refugee care and mm-hmm. anti-trafficking. And so this model of a physical sacrifice, some people think it's, you know, a little odd, like, well, why do you run? Why not just give the money? But it, it transforms the individual who's wow. doing the physical sacrifice. So when you are training and you are cycling across the country or you're biking down the coast of California or you're running across um, the state of Minnesota, whatever it is that you're doing, you are training, you are raising awareness, you are Mm. learning about the cause. It's becoming a part of you and you are choosing, I am going to do hard things, you know, for people living in hard Mm. situations. And that's our, kind of our motto, tough, tough things, tough, um, so, yeah, tough things for people in tough places. Oh, and we got, oh you know, I the, the love that. I know. Yeah, we we I feel like it's such that. a privilege for us to, um, you know, again, like I said, and back to the trip in Africa to do this with our kids yes. and to come alongside our friends who are doing this with Venture. And, um, so we also get to partner with Feed My Starving Children. We oh, send yeah. about, yeah, about 15,000 meals um, are, are handed out every day in Southeast Asia, whether it's along the border or in IDP, IDP camps, which are um, people who are eternally displaced um, people. Um, and we also get to partner with organizations that do the tough work of intervention and aftercare for girls who have been 
been or or at risk of being trafficked. Um, and I am I am actually the grassroots coordinator. So we have official tours that go on every year. We have a tour director, Jeremy, who gets to lead that. But I get to work with our local initiatives and campaigns. So. Um, for instance, we had a hardcore challenge, and that would be where people would choose to hike, bike, walk, ski, and they would do it in over the winter months, and they would get to choose their mileage. So maybe they're going to run 100 miles in the month of February, or maybe they're just going to um, walk a mile a day over 30 days, you know, and over, the, uh, over January. But however it looks, physical sacrifice is different for everybody, and that's what, you know, we're, we try to promote adventure. This is not for athletes. This is not for people who have it all together and who have already been running and doing the marathons. This is for average people who say, I want to respond. I know that there are needs. I know that there are people who are living in poverty and people that don't have access to food and I want to do something about it. And so, you know, I see an, I see the opportunity to bike or I see the opportunity to run or hike a mountain and I want to do that to respond. And a lot of people will sign up for a tour and they don't even know to bike or they've never ran more than a mile and they're wow. signing up to run 200 miles or 100 miles. And so um, it, that that's part of amazing. It, yeah, but, but how yeah. does the money come in? So great question. So we have a fundraising platforms that we've used over the last several years. So people can share on social media. They create wow. fundraising pages. That's awesome. We have just like a two page list of different things they can do to raise awareness and raise funds. You can partner. Um, we have a lot of people that have started partnering with organizations they work for and they'll do matching so um, to whatever the individual wow. raises their company will wow. match. Yeah, we just actually recently have been working the last few years for a new app called Venture Miles, where people will be able to use crowdfunding, GPS, you can link it to Strava, Map My Run. Um, There's a devotional component on it, and everything is in one place. So you can download the app, and what's what's pretty cool is that we haven't even done an official launch. We've had groups that have used it, um, but we're starting to see people that are not even connected to us finding the app seeing the needs on the apps because you can choose I want to raise money for trafficking I want to raise money for refugee care clean water whatever it looks like it's fantastic yeah. I am loving and that then I you know decide what you want to do I want to run I want to bike I want to swim um whatever that looks like and then you just start logging your miles and it gives you the impact units every time you log a run every time you log whether it's an event or just a training run, it'll show you how many people are fed that day or how many girls would receive rescue because of that train. Yeah. People can donate per mile. People can just donate, you know, one time um, to your campaign. And you really can do this a lot with social media. You can. Absolutely. That's so amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's okay, now let me you ask you this. know what I'm thinking. I right know now, what you're thinking. You? Okay, we <laughs> are this is amazing. So in and we want to Oh my be heavens. Okay, so tell me how they people can be a part of this. Yeah, definitely. So if people want to email me, it's Candace at venture.org. Okay. C-A-N-D-A-C-E, and that's venture.org. And I would love to get you connected and getting oh, involved. Um, the app this. is already on the app store, so you can just go and search. To Venture Miles. Venture Miles. Okay. Yep, you can already go and find it and download it. And there's a what they call like a quick button where you can just pick your, your main points and, and anybody can do it. You don't have to be with an organization or anything. You can do it as an individual. Yeah. You can do it. This is fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. It's, I mean, it has been a a long road of, of trying to create the best option because there's really nothing like that out there right now in the market. Well, and you can do it as a family. You can. Like I'm sitting here thinking. What if we did it as a podcast family? Well, I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking. You as a mom, you're doing this with your kiddos, and you're raising them to be very aware globally right. of what's happening around the world. I mean, you re- that is, I yeah. mean, holy this is cow. So it's fun that you just said that as we actually launched a new campaign this last summer called Kids Can, and it's for families. And so, Really? Yeah. Our, actually, our families used the app. They were one of our very first groups that used it, and they were able to log miles as a family and share it, share it among grandparents and neighbors. This and makes me want to do this with oh. my girls. Oh, no, I mean, it really I does. I love Thank this. You. Yeah, okay, so excited. they really, they can go to Venture Miles. And on that is that kids, the kids? Um, kids, so Kids Can was a campaign last summer. We'll be doing it oh, again I see, this I summer. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. Yep. But they can log in as a family oh, and do yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited about this. For your family, just for yourself, or you and your spouse, however you want it. Yeah, however you want it to look. This is genius. Oh, this is so, so 
good. It really oh, is. This is so good. And what I, what I, this, this is, is the so thing. Good. I mean, I, I'm a, um, I'm a, my job is I'm a kids minister okay. and family minister. And what I love is that this is really something that is not only going to, um, equip families, but it is going to force those families right. that those kiddos are going to be thinking globally right. and, Okay, if I do this, then this happens. Yes, that is discipleship. It is. I mean, well, that is beautiful what's cool discipleship. Too is that every day of the kids can there was a discipleship component. So yes. families oh, me, I you know, love about that. What was going on along the border of Thailand and Burma? What the refugees, yes. you know, their plight is that they don't have access to food. And what's beautiful too is it's that that's food. on that was on the app. That was on. That oh, was I mean, on the campaign. Yes. Yes. Um, and see, it forces those kids then to does. think globally. Absolutely. And, you know, and to realize they so can make a difference. Right. And like, kids, what What can I do with people starving halfway yeah. across the world? And it gives world? them yeah. feet to well, Yeah, it gives them action. Here is something you really mm-hmm. could do. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I just love this. Yes. I love yeah. this. And anytime you have uh, $1 that's donated, that sends 10 meals. And so for kids, it's wow. so sweet because you can say, you know, we raised $200 as a family. That means we sent 2,000 meals to oh. kids who are hungry you know, in Southeast Asia. So the the um, story that you're telling your kids, it's very relatable for their, you know, their minds can really wrap their mind around food. Right, um, right. And older kids can wrap their mind around trafficking. I mean, we talked yes. to our, we've been talking to our big kids since, gosh, they were maybe six and nine about what it means to be enslaved and forced, you know, to yes. do things mm-hmm. that yes. um, you shouldn't have to do. And, you know, we've made it, it broadens their perspective, mm-hmm. but right. It shows them that, you know, there, there are people who don't live like us and we have the opportunity to teach them and to stretch them so that they learn hearts of compassion and they learn to love I just life love Jesus this so much. I, I do too. too. I, I mean, do this, too. this really wow. can transform families because yeah. it also, you're getting your kids moving. You're getting your family moving, right. and beyond that, it's forcing them to think globally. Right. It really is forcing them to have a heart of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it really is. You know, yeah. I mean, you know how beautiful that is. Yeah, Candace, you're amazing. Oh, jeez. Like, well, it's oh. funny that you were just talking about family because I was gonna share. Just that's probably been the my favorite part about our job is getting to do all these things with our kids. Yes, and, yes. and yes. getting to expose them. You know, to all, I mean. We were a little bit crazy when they were six to nine. We did us one summer. It was a hundred miles in a summer, and whether it was walking, skipping, running, we would we would plan some of our runs through parks in the area and do like an obstacle course halfway through. Sometimes we'd bring a soccer ball and just have them like kick down the, the street or count sidewalk squares. But it was called the um, Hardcore One Hundred. <laughs> we printed out the little sheets with a hundred little boxes, and they kept up. And they raised money that summer and, you know, marked up all that. And they were so proud, so proud of that. And that, I think, was the summer Uh, their hearts were really, really shifted. And hearing them pray on our runs. I remember our son was six and he was praying um, for the refugees who didn't have food. And he got choked up. I mean, he's six years old. And he was just the that understanding like wow I we just had dinner at my house and you know yes. we get to now go out together and run a mile and talk about this and <clears throat> raise money as a family um gosh we've done some some fun stuff like um well we did kids can last summer we've done um initiatives where our kids were um were able to like our littles like last summer when we were involved and our, our littles got to walk a block, you know, just little yes. things, like trying to engage them at different stages that they're at. And sometimes we've had the double stroller and we'll do five K's together. And, um, so another, <clears throat> excuse me, like one, another fun part of my job is getting to partner with other people <clears throat> who have these dreams that yeah. they, they want to accomplish and, and then getting to do those with our kids. So for instance, there's a guy named Brent who, he was turning 30 and he wanted to raise $30,000 and he wanted to have 30 friends run 30 miles for his 30th birthday. And so we were able to help him come up with a, a strategy to raise funds and provide the platform for him. And now three years later, almost 600 people um, participated last year and he's raised over almost a half a million dollars. Stop it. No, I'm Stop not. Stop it. Oh friends and churches all over Minnesota and it's, he's a no volunteer. This is just was his heart. Uh, another buddy of mine, Chris. Oh, uh, I love that. He came to my husband Paul shortly after his wife passed away from cervical cancer. Her name was Lizzie, and he said, "Paul, Lizzie loved to run. Lizzie's heart was for 
anti-trafficking, you know, she, she ran so many marathons and raised funds. You know, what can we, what can we do? I want to partner with Venture. Right. So we started Run Lizzie Strong, and we, that first year was in 10 different cities around the country. Um, and we had almost a thousand, or no, over a thousand people that first year that were running and raising money for anti-trafficking initiatives. Um, we've had my friend Emma, um, other things that are on a little bit smaller scale, where she said, you know what, I, I hear about these girls that you guys are helping in Nepal, and I want to do something to respond and organize just a women's run with and we had seven women in September who ran 15 miles a day for five days and I mean, how raised $11,000. Yeah. And, and so doable. Yeah. That's the thing. It it's is. not yes. just this. It, it really is. It's changing a mindset. Mm-hmm. It really is because they're sacrificing. But, but being and, offered help to yes. actually do something to make a difference. Exactly. Right. Like exactly. our hearts, of course we want to help, but yeah. what would I do? Yeah. Right. This is brilliant. Absolutely, because, it is. And I'm thinking of my daughter in New York City, Molly. Yeah. Um, she had done an internship in D.C. at um, uh, anti-trafficking place, and that was her heart of compassion. And But that kind of petered out, and now okay. she's in New York. She has this group of friends, and she they keeps saying, do this. we want to do something good, Molly. Yeah. But we just don't know what, and they went to, you know, a homeless yeah. shelter and tried mm-hmm. to feed the homeless. And yeah. they're like, oh, that didn't go well. You know, and just, sure. yeah. and so I wanted to say a shout out to Molly and Michelle and Summer in New York City. Listen to this. Yeah. yeah. And let's get involved. Yeah. So they, if they wanted to, then they would just email they would get the you app. and email start me, the conversation. The yeah. If they I want a personal that. connection, I would love to. And I'm not just thinking for other people. I'm thinking, I know. We're taking this I to know. Staff. Virginia, yes, to it, our would be so good. it would be so good, and oh good. boy, we I love, love it. it. We would love it. Yeah. We, have, we have we've we've done Fargo Marathon, the Dallas Marathon. I mean, we've people from all over the country have been involved and done done initiatives, and really, however creative you want to be. We yeah. have a group of students in California on December first. They're doing a five mile hike, and they want to raise a hundred thousand dollars, and so. It, it really is, and this is from a high school student that had that oh, wanted this I for her school. I love that. Yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I think probably one of my absolute favorite memories is um, my daughter Lola, who's now thirteen. When she was eleven, you know, she has seen Paul and I do races. She had done a handful of five Ks, and she said, "Mom, I want to run a half marathon." And so we signed up, her and I, and signed up for one end of August. Now this is the summer between sixth and seventh grade. And nobody wants to get up early, and I, you know, on summer yeah, break. Yeah. And so a few times a week, I'd come in at seven a.m. Okay, it's time to go. It's time to get our run in, and it was tough. It was tough keeping up because she hated running, but yet she was so motivated to do this race. You know, she had this goal in her mind, but yet it was a it was almost a con- constant tension between us. Yeah. Getting these trainings in and making sure that we were ready to go. And some good days, you know, of course, but it was, that one was a little bit tough, but we showed up on race day and it was cold and rainy end of August. Who knew? And she did amazing. She had the best attitude. She was so excited Mm -hmm. to be there. And in the end, she, she wanted to raise money for refugees. Her goal was $1,300 because it was a 13 mile race. And she raised over $1,500 that summer, which was so, it was so sweet. And for Lola, if you knew her, she's not an overly emotional person. She just, that was her goal. And when, you know, in the end, she's like, well, of course I did. That was my goal. You know, for her, (laughs) she just, when she sets it. It was a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. Of course I got there. Um, And it was, you know, the route that we were on for that race was, was honestly one of my least favorite. It was a county road and it was. Uh, out and back. So six and a half miles out, six and a half back. Here we had trained around the beautiful lakes in yeah, Minneapolis yeah. and had gorgeous, every week and gorgeous runs. And the actual race day was a little bit of a letdown for yeah. her. <laughs> and so she said, mom, next time I would love to run through the city and do something, you know, right downtown. So it was probably after the new year. And she said, mom, I, I'd love to do another one. And she's like, I'd want to do two before I turn um, 13, you know, oh two while 12. And so we looked for one and found one. It's a pretty iconic run called um, the Red, White, and Boom. It's on July 4th, and oh, it's cool. in North Minneapolis, which is where we live. It going Actually, the route went right by our house, and so we thought, oh, that's going to be fun, you know, have neighbors out cheering us on. And so we sign up and start training again, and 
it was night and day training with her for the second run. She, I don't know what had happened between those, you know, those nine months, but her maturity was just different. Her motivation, her excitement for it, just running. I mean, she actually was about as tall as me at this point. So just, it just felt like we were out doing, I was doing this with a friend and here's my daughter and we just had so much fun preparing for it. And this time around, she said, Mom, I want to raise $2,600 because oh. it's the second half marathon in the year. And so I'm going to double my goal. And honestly, when she first told me, I thought, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Maybe we need to reconsider. Yeah. Like, Let's wrap it down. carried away. Right. And again, she's very matter of fact, no, I, I'm supposed to raise 26. I know I'm going to raise it. And, and that's my goal. So about three weeks before, she had taken about an hour to record a video of herself, and she did a beautiful job for me to post on social media and to create a page for her, and I forgot and never did it. And so here we're still training, and I kept thinking, oh, i got to do that. Well, it was about five days before the race, and I had not done it. You know, we hadn't created it, and she reminded me, Mom, I, I recorded another video. Did you post the last one? You know, how am I doing? Um, oh, <laughs> no! I haven't, haven't quite got it. Oh, so... You know, we talked it through. She's like, Mom, I really feel like, you know, I'm supposed to raise this amount. And in my mind, I'm thinking, there is no way in four days we're going to get to this goal. But um, I, we both came home. She sat with me. We did the page. And she did several videos over the next few days, a lot of Facebook Live. And she was so excited. And we get to race day, or actually a couple of days before race day, they canceled the race because of the heat. It was too hot, they said, too humid. The combination was dangerous. And when we first told Lola, she was not having it. <laughs> She's like, I'm running a half marathon, Mom, on July 4th. Like, that's what I trained for. I know I'm supposed to do this. I can't stop raising money now. And so we showed up with her, Paul and I. They, they still had the 5K, and people could loop it twice and do a 10K. But she's like, no, I want to do this. So we stayed out there with her. We looped four times and then some to get our you know, our, our half in, and it was hot. It was a, it oh was my such goodness. a unique, different experience from her last race. And she was amazing. She shaved off 22 minutes off her time. Oh. And there was, I remember mile 10, I was struggling, you know, to breathe. And she put her hand on my back and she's like, mom, you got this. You can do this. Oh. So of course I'm, you know, tearing up and just, okay, I, I'm going to keep going. If you've got it in you, I can do this. And by the end of that weekend, she raised over $3,000. No, I'm not kidding. And and it was so precious because even as donations are coming in like crazy, I'm reading the comments and I'm bawling like a baby because I can't believe the support of our community and our friends and family. And again, she's like, Oh, neat. You know, that's great. She just and she said it. She just knew. Like, Mom, oh, neat. That's what God, you know. What a character building thing you're doing in that young lady. You are raising amazing kids. I mean, you really are. Intentionality and the, of course, I'm going to do my part and work hard and yet trust in the Lord also. And then it will come to fruition. I love that. That is beautiful. He was so faithful to, you know, this heart of a 12-year-old. so beautiful. Even it's funny, even sharing some of these stories, it sounds like we run all the time. We don't. We don't run all the time. I mean, my husband actually does. He's um, He was actually friends, very close with Lizzie, who passed away. And one of her legacies is that she ran a mile a day every mm. day for 411 days. And my husband picked up that mantle after she was diagnosed and she had to stop running. And he has not stopped. And that was over three and a half years ago wow. that he started. So he's ran at least a mile a day. For three and a half years without missing a day. So wow. he is more of our runner in the family. But, you know, life is life is full. We're, you know, always trying to balance our four kids and church and community. and um, But we really feel like God has given us the choice to mm-hmm. live life how we want to live and to choose how we want our life to look like. And some people don't always have that choice, but they do have the choice to to respond, you know, even if the choice mm. was made for them, how are we going to respond? How sure. are we going to um, make the most out of this? And we feel like because of that freedom of making these choices, we get to write our story. Mm. And, you know, God is, of course, the author, the ultimate author. But in in the process of just of our journey of taking steps um, and making these choices, we feel like God has just been so faithful. I think it's Psalm 1825, it says, to the faithful, you show yourself faithful mm. in that, and just responding, I mean, to yes. to anybody who's feeling, I know, fear, anxiety, fear of judgment, all, there's so many things that can keep us from mm-hmm. doing hard things and doing things 
um, that would stretch us. But when we take that step and when we, when, when God has whispered something to us or something that might even freak us out that we think I could never do that, you know, mm, that, right, is, right. that is not me. And that's, that must be for somebody else. But if we can just literally some days I tell fear to go to hell. Sorry, yeah. sorry that's okay to say that. I struggle with fear, but when, when fear gets in the way, I say, no, I know God has prepared me um, to do hard things on behalf of others. And if it's something that is going to stretch me, so stretch me, you know, yeah. and I want to, I want to live that kind of adventure or mm, be yes, on that kind of yes. a journey. And it's, it's just too easy to, to play it comfortable and yeah. to be careful That's, with our lives. Yes. And both my husband and I have just kind of committed, um, you know, way back when, when we were on that summit of that mountain to say, we, we want life to look a little bit different and we want to be intentional with the choices that we make. And, you know, sometimes when we feel like we're absolute failures at parenting, which is more me, I'm a one on the Enneagram. So there's very much a, a right and wrong. And when I feel like I am failing, I just have to remind myself, you know what? God is, he has been weaving this story for mm. us over the past several years. And we can trust that even when we make mistakes, even when we do settle for comfortable, or yeah. even when we do say no to an opportunity that would have been so stretching for us that, that God is so good. Yeah. And, you know, there. Um, gosh, I could just share stories about why we choose in the neighborhood we live in, mm. and why we choose to live in this city, and why we attend the diverse church that we do. You know, but God has just been um, just part of all these decisions. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I truly believe. You know, even when you make these hard decisions, there is a spiritual battle yeah, going course. on, and the enemy yeah. would love to derail you and you would love to, and he has derailed me many times and made me think I'm not adequate enough. I don't have what it takes. Um, I am not strong enough. I'm not brave Mm -hmm. enough, whatever that looks like. And when we allow him to do that, we are, we are really robbing ourselves Mm -hmm. of such amazing Mm -hmm. growth opportunities Mm -hmm. and new experiences and new adventures. And, you know, as a family, when you work in dark places like Southeast Asia, um, the enemy is, is ticked about mm-hmm. it. He's, you know, mm-hmm. he wants to yes. discourage you. And um, the spiritual battle has been, you know, such a real thing. But it's been also God's been so faithful through those times of saying, even though it's been hard, I am with you, and I am going right. to walk through, you know, those experiences with you. So that's good. Oh, Candace, so you are oh, amazing. You're a joy. Uh, you really are, and amazing. you are raising world changers. Uh, amazing. I mean. Yeah. Oh my goodness, and this has spurred at, me on. Oh, <laughs> me too. Because, yeah, fear and insecurity holds us back, but I also think love of comfort yeah. <laughs> can hold yeah. us back. And when yeah. you started your story and you were talking about Pleasantville and, yeah. and what a great life you guys had yeah. down there, um, it, I, I put myself in other people's stories sometimes, sure. and then you're called to, to move away from that mm-hmm. and move back to you know, the inner city, I think, wow, would I have been able to give up Pleasantville? Yeah. yeah. Um, but look at what you would have missed mm. yeah. if you hadn't. It, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Oh, and when you said, what What was the motto? Hard Doing things. tough things for people in tough places. Doing yeah. tough things for people in tough, in tough places. places. Good. That is motivating. Yeah, it's That good. is motivating. In my own heart, I have been praying, God, would you release me from this love of comfort? Mm. I I don't want that to hold me back. Sure, yeah. sure. Because I really love adventure. Yeah. But comfort is so luring. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Um, and really can hold you back mm-hmm. from being a world sure, changer, sure. Yeah. E- even in little ways. Yeah. And, uh, no. Anyway, no, that's I good. could go on and on. Your story is so amazing. It's so good. So motivating. It's so good. All right, so, tell, tell us one more time, people that want to get in touch with you, how yes, can they do it? Yes, yes. You can email me. It's Candace, C-A-N-D-A-C-E, at venture.org. That's V-E-N-T-U-R-E. Okay. And then they can go and download the app. Mm-hmm. Yep, or you can go That's right awesome. to our app store, and it's Venture Miles. Awesome. Good. Yeah. Candace, thank you. Thank you. You are a gift. It's been so much fun. This has been, it is. It's you. good. It's this good. has been life-changing. I know. It has. It has. Okay. All right. Thanks, you guys, for listening, and have a great afternoon. We love you all. Bye. Bye.